You are about to listen to the full interview with Thomas Winterton. Sections of it were originally included in our Skinwalker Ranch episode. If you haven't listened to the full episode, we recommend you go listen. It'll provide context for this interview. Thomas Winterton is the superintendent at Skinwalker Ranch, managing day-to-day operations. He is also featured in the History Channel's television series, Skinwalker Ranch. We spoke with him about the history of the ranch, his own personal encounters, and what research is now being conducted. Well, my name's Thomas Winterton, and I'm the manager of uh, Skinwalker Ranch. I oversee the facilities, and I coordinate between all of the functions that are going on the ranch, whether it be the science or the actual ranching uh, activities or the public relations in the immediate community surrounding the ranch. Like, How many days out of the year do you think you spend on that ranch? Um, so I probably average two to three days a week on the ranch. And when did you first learn about the mysteries around the ranch? So I first learned about the ranch when I was a kid. Growing up in the Uinta Basin, uh, I remember reading in the newspapers, especially at the time that the Shermans uh, had the ranch, there were a lot of reports in the local newspapers regarding the cattle mutilations, the UFOs. And then uh, I actually had uh, an uncle that lived close to Junior Hicks. And Junior Hicks is uh, hes kind of a legend here in the Uinta Basin. And he's been studying UFOs for 70 years, studying, documenting them. So anytime there was a, a sighting, he would go interview the people. And he was meticulous and very methodical and scientific in his uh, interviewing and in his research. And so he lived close to my uncle, and, and he was actually heavily involved in Skinwalker Ranch during the Bigelow era, um, had come out and investigated a lot with the scientists that were out here. Mr. Bigelow had actually taken him down to Las Vegas and had him speak uh, down there at, I believe it was Bigelow Aerospace at the time, I'm not sure. But anyways, um, so I, I had, uh, he was always talking to my uncle and telling him the stories that were going on, on the ranch. And of course, those always got retold around the family dinner. So it was kind of everywhere growing up. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, this story is just, it's so fascinating because there's so, there's so many different types of stories around the ranch and things that people have experienced. What is, what sort of, you touched on UFO sightings, but what other phenomenon do people report in the area and at the ranch? The ranch is special in the fact that, you know, there's hot spots all over the world that are known for UFOs or maybe cattle mutilations or poltergeists. But what makes Skinwalker Ranch special and unique is that there seems to be the entire gamut of activity that takes place there. Everything from reported portals, uh, orbs, cattle mutilations, UFO sightings, of course the legend of Skinwalker, the shape-shifting demonic being that roams along the ridge there. Just all kinds of phenomena that that, that covers the entire spectrum. So it's not any one thing. It rather, it seems to be a little bit of everything. You mentioned Skinwalker, and obviously the ranch is called Skinwalker. Can you can you kind of describe what a Skinwalker is and how the ranch got that name? So Skinwalker Ranch derives its name from the Skinwalker, which is a shape-shifting demonic being that can take the shape of many different entities, whether it be the common one is a, is a wolf that turns into a man, but it can also appear as a coyote or as a crow, um, many different shapes. The legend of the ranch is is that the Navajos used to be up in this area. The, at one point, the Navajos and the Utes got into a skirmish, and the Utes 
push the Navajos out of the Uinta Basin. And as they were doing this, the, the Navajo shaman cursed this specific area of ground that now is home to Skinwalker Ranch with the curse of the Skinwalker. And, uh, and that, that was kind of the retribution for being pushed out. So you spend a lot of time on that ranch. Have you had any strange experiences since your time being there? So I spend a lot of time on the ranch. Uh, I'm the primary facility caretaker. I oversee the ranching activities. I coordinate the science activities. So I spend a lot of time on the ranch. When I first came on the ranch, I guess I could describe myself as a very healthy skeptic. Um, I'd heard the stories, obviously, growing up here in the basin, but I didn't really believe them. And I definitely didn't believe in the paranormal. It didn't take very long of being on the ranch before unusual things started to occur. And really, within, I don't know, six, seven months on the ranch, I I had experienced several very unexplainable events. Everything from hearing voices that were giving me commands. There's one specific spot on the ranch that two separate occasions I've heard what I thought were audible voices. The second time I heard them, though, I know that it was not audible because I was running a piece of equipment and the, the, the noise was extremely loud and I had earbuds in listening to an audiobook when I heard these voices. And, and, and it was just as clear as if you were standing right next to me and we were talking in normal tones. You know, somebody could have been standing right outside my piece of equipment and yelling and I may not have been able to hear them, especially with me. I, I, I do have uh, some hearing loss. And so the fact that I, I heard this voice so clearly and so audibly tells me that it came from within within my head. It was inside my head, which makes me then question the other incidents that I've heard these same voices. Uh, what I thought were audible voices at the time, but uh, from that one incident, you know, I, I realize it's possible that it came from inside my head. So I've heard voices. I've seen uh, strange phenomena around the homesteads. I've seen shadow figures. I suffered an injury that was unexplained, unexplainable, uh, medically Im- impossible as termed by the doctors. Um, very severe head injury that almost cost me my life. And then there's, there's a million things that happen on the ranch. Travis Taylor, one of the scientists that is on our show, I think he described the ranch best when he said, you know, Skinwalker Ranch is like death by a thousand paper cuts. <laughs> uh, because there are a million little things that happen, and it doesn't take very long for you to start questioning your sanity on that ranch. And uh, so, anyways, yeah, I, I've witnessed a lot of things, a lot of things to this day that I can't explain, and, and a lot of things that have been witnessed by others. So there, I've, I've had uh, incidents... I was on the ranch, take, I was up working on a set of cameras, and at the time, I was coordinating through my phone, through text, with our head, our lead investigator, Eric Bard, and we were working together to try to get these cameras uh, online, and I was up on, I was up on top of the ridge, and our, our ranch dog, William, was up there with me, and I'm up there, and all of a sudden, William just starts whining really loud, which is out of character for him. And he, he starts whining, and then I lose control of my phone, which is another, that's another common phenomena. Uh, for some reason, you know, the electromagnetic radiation, whatever it is, the interference, we have a hell of a problem trying to maintain electronics on the ranch. And uh, 
And so my phone's taken over, meaning I lost control of the screen and it starts opening, it, it starts opening its own apps that starts going through functions and, and it won't respond to me. And it just, it's almost like it has a mind of its own. And so I had another individual with me on the ranch at that point, And I yelled over to him and said, Hey, uh, I can't like, I can't get through to Eric. I've lost control of my phone. I need to go down to the control center. So we start climbing down off of the Mesa to, to go down into the control room. And when we get to the bottom, we'd left a bag down at the bottom that had some different gear and stuff. And one of those, one of the things in that bag was a LED flashlight. And this LED flashlight had gone dead, so we just left it in the bag and didn't bother to take it up with us. And we get down to the bottom, and this bag is just, like, glowing really bright. And, and I looked at it, and I'm like, what the heck is going on? Go over there and open up the bag, and this LED flashlight that, was, that had completely dead batteries is sitting there pulsating so bright. I mean, it was, it was pulsating brighter than than uh, even if it had fresh batteries in it, right? And so um, that's that's one time where, one, I had I had a, a witness there with me. The dog was whining, and the phone starts behaving. So we have three separate anomalies taking place at the same time. Um, so anyways, I, I have witnessed a lot of things on Skinwalker Ranch. One of the really weird things about, I think, uh, the the stories that I hear is this like mix of technology versus supernatural. There's a lot of sightings of flying saucers that seem like there's a technological origin to them, but then at the same time you have these things like hearing voices that may not be there and shadow people. And, may, and I know this is probably something that nobody knows, but like, is there does it to you? Does it feel like there's a technological origin to this phenomena, or do you think there's something just beyond our understanding that's causing all of this phenomena to happen? You know what's causing this on the ranch i think that's the part that's the most frustrating is you know uh we come across what the scientists what eric uh, bard will call a fingerprint uh you know a fingerprint of what could be going on i know in season one uh episode one eric you know brings out the case and it and it turns out to be this magnet and everybody's kind of confused like what does a magnet have to do with any of this but, you know, a very strong magnetic field, electromagnetic uh, interference can replicate many of the things that we're seeing on the ranch. Even on the human physiology, you get strong electromagnetic uh, interference. Uh, Travis tells about when he was going to school and, and some of his classmates put their head between very large magnet and it actually, they got stuck. They couldn't, like it messed up the signals in their head so bad that they... They reported seeing colors, hearing things. You know, we're, we're just one big circuit board, so that would make sense why we would experience that. The frustrating thing is, though, we'll find a fingerprint, such as this electromagnetic uh, radiation, but it can't account for everything. And we haven't been able to find, like, any one thing that could account for everything we're seeing because we see such a wide range. And so... You, you you find something like that and you think, well, it'll account for this, this, and this, but that still leaves that, that, and that, that that doesn't fit in that box. And so people ask us all the time, like, what do you think is going on? You know, is it is it this or is it that? And and our answer is yes. It has. It seems to be that it would have to be multiple things uh, on a multiple front. And now whether all those multiple things tie back 
and are related somehow. I don't know, but um, I, I, you can't pinpoint, you can't point to any one thing and say, oh, you know what, that's, that's the cause. You mentioned your, could you maybe touch on your head injury and what happened there? Yeah, you know, my head injury is one of those things. Um, there's a lot to it, and, uh, and I'll, be, I'll just be perfectly honest. There is a lot of details and circumstances around my injury that uh, I'm definitely not comfortable talking about. As a matter, matter of fact, I'll say there's some that I still haven't come to terms with. The injury itself, uh, I mean, it, it's changed the way that I look at the world. Definitely made me realize there's more to this world than we know. But uh, yeah, in March of 2017, I suffered a severe head injury and what ended up happening is um and and i able to remember it really well because it actually started on my birthday and so you know it was march 4th and i was getting ready to go to bed that night we had a little celebration with the family and cake and ice cream and stuff and uh, i went to lay down for the night and i had a really sore spot on the back of my head it was it was back on the lower just above my neck on the back side of my head and uh, it, it was probably about the size of a quarter or 50 cent piece. It was really tender to the touch, like a bruise. And I, I laid down, I thought, what the heck? And it was strange because I was thinking, well, I haven't hit my head. Like, I wonder what that's from. But I didn't think anything more than that. I went to bed. When I woke up Sunday, that spot had swollen up to where it was, you know, it was like a goose egg back there. And it was extremely tender to the touch. I mean, it hurt really bad. And I started to get sick and associated with, like, you know, flu symptoms and, and nauseousness. I, I mean, I felt like crap. And uh, as the day progressed, that, or Sunday, uh, my wife was concerned. And she mentioned, she thought, maybe we should take you up to the hospital and have you checked out. And my initial thought at the time, I just told her, well, it's probably an insect bite. Like, I probably got bit by a spider or something. And so my thing was, I'll just, like, we'll just tough it out. It'll pass. And so I didn't let her take me to the hospital. And Sunday night it progressed. And then through Monday, she was starting to get concerned. And she kept asking me, can I, can I please just take you into the clinic? And I said, no, you know, just give me some time. Like, it probably is a poisonous spider. We'll just need to let it run its course. I, I, you know, I hate going to the hospital for anything. I, I basically have to be carried in there on a stretcher. Monday night was the worst night of my entire life. And uh, from Monday night to Tuesday morning, I had the most horrific uh, 12 hours of my entire life. And basically in that 12 hours, uh, that little goose egg bump took and spread and uh, and it went all the way up through my head, up down through my forehead. And finally, when when my wife saw me Tuesday morning, she uh, she panicked really bad because there was a there was a very definite line across my forehead, and it was right at that line that like then my head was swollen out big time. So, and and what that line was was it was actually I had fluid that came in and separated the fatty tissue away from my skull. So what happened is I ended up getting scalped completely, and it separated the entire the entire part of my head, with the exception of the portion just around my eyes and down around my mouth. So, you know, to give you a visual, by the by the end of Tuesday, 
I could grab my hair with my hands and basically walk my scalp around my around my oh, head. Oh, um, that's so gross! Ow, yeah, that's terrible. And uh, and so the doctors, you know, we spent a week, and it, it got it, it continued to get more and more severe to the point that you know the doctor, my doctor, uh, started preparing my wife for the fact that I could have some serious brain damage because of that, or I may not even pull through it. And, uh, and so it was, it was a traumatic time and, and they ran, I think they ran 43 different tests on me that week. And, uh, the doctor just kept coming in and he was frustrated. He's like, you know, you're the healthiest sick person I've ever met in my life. Um, there was no, you know, they checked me for insect bites. They checked me for head trauma. Like, you know, if I had gotten hit there um they, they ran every test that they could think to run and everything just my labs kept coming back perfect everything just kept looking really good and so uh you know the doctor saying this is impossible like <laughs> this is medically impossible I've, I've never seen this before he's a military doc seen a lot of things because of my association with the ranch uh it was shortly after i was out of the hospital a pretty rigorous investigation uh, ensued to try to get to the bottom and figure out what was going on. So it's been a crazy couple years as, as that investigation has gone on. And um, the, the injury itself was disturbing. The investigation's been disturbing. Uh, pretty much every aspect of it has been disturbing. It's, it's rocked my world for sure. But you feel pretty confident that, that this injury may be connected in some way to the ranch? <laughs> well, I mean... Again, I go back to the fact that I'm a healthy skeptic. And when it first happened, I refused to acknowledge that it was associated with the ranch. I was adamant. You know, as the investigation goes on and and you start putting pieces together, there's no way to definitively say, absolutely, this is because of the ranch. Um, But again, you know, talking about fingerprints, the fingerprints are there and uh, there's a high likelihood that, yes, it is. It is associated with the ranch. Have you ever experienced any further complications, like anything else similar to that since then, or is that the worst of it so far? No, like, so I have experienced a couple minor reoccurrences of it. And, uh, and you know, this all, this is all part of the investigation. And while it sucks to have a reoccurrence, when it does happen, you know, it does lend more clues as to what possibly could be taking place. And matter of fact, when we were filming season one, and we'd we'd been we did an all nighter that night where we filmed all through the night and uh, we were out in the field. We started p- picking up. Well, first we saw that beam in the sky. Um, couldn't see it with our naked eye. You could only pick it up in the infrared. Shortly after seeing that beam, then of course our spectrum analyzers start going off charts, and we had this little tinfoil board that uh, we were trying to we were trying to pinpoint where the signal might be coming from holding that and all of a sudden my head started to throb really bad and that that exact same spot where it started um i start yeah i started to have pretty severe pain there uh throbbing that made me very nervous i've had i've had a couple other times where it actually started to swell up um as well in that and it's always in that same like always in that exact same spot so i don't know if that's just like because it's been weakened and that's like the weak link i don't know but uh, i have had a couple small reoccurrences uh luckily nothing major and and for the most part i've made a full recovery and have you know i i enjoy good health 
good. Could you tell me about the experiences of uh, Terry and Gwen Sherman, the original owners of the ranch? I'll be honest with you. I, I'm always reluctant to speak about the, the experiences that Gwen and Terry Sherman had because I've never been able to hear Gwen and Terry out of their own mouth. It's always been through a third party who's relating these stories. And, and while I don't want to question those third parties um, at all, I also know that information can change as it exchanges from one person to another. Um, what I can tell you, though, is that the Shermans are good people. I have no, no reason ever to doubt uh, them or their claims. And they were definitely terrorized when they were on that ranch. And the stories that have been told are everything from, you know, having their prized cattle mutilated, uh, a significant portion of mutilations that took place, orbs chasing their livestock, um, even orbs turning their dogs into, or, you know, turning their dogs into grease spots, as the story is told. Having a dire wolf come up and grab one of their cows. There's a story of their, their bulls being put into a container and being found in a catatonic state, all crammed in. And I've seen the container. It's, it's there on the ranch. I mean, if that is indeed how the story happened, then that makes for a very strange story because how the bulls would get in there and, and be crammed into this tight space would be definitely a marvel in itself. Stories of Harry going out working with uh, farm equipment, uh, like a post hole digger, an auger, turning around, and uh, when he turns back around to put his attention back on the, uh, the equipment, it's gone, only to be discovered several weeks later, 75 feet up into a tree. Multiple UFO sightings, even having UFOs come right down there in the pasture. You know, Gwen bringing groceries home putting them away in the cupboard and the fridge, then going into the bathroom and coming back out and finding the groceries of, you know, they're all back out of the, and, and on the counter. Many different types of phenomena that took place with them and, and multiple times. They, so they saw UFOs multiple times. They had multiple cattle mutilations, the poltergeist activity. Definitely a wide range of activities that took place during the, the Sherman era on the ranch. So you've never had a chance to talk to them about it. So personally, like um, I have, I have made attempts, especially with the production of the TV show. We would love uh, for the opportunity to have them tell their story because our goal is to get to the truth. Uh, we're not there to sensationalize, you know. Obviously, Hollywood and the editors they'll add their music in there and do what they can to, you know, to make it uh, captive and make it watchable. But as far as the Skinwalker Ranch team, we have no interest in trying to fabricate things. We want to get through the stories and find out what's fact, what's fiction. And so there have been multiple attempts to reach out to them. Um, but for whatever unknown reasons thus far, they haven't had any interest in talking. And from talking to family members and those friends that are close to them, they've suffered a lot of trauma associated with this part of their lives and, and they don't want to relive it. And I don't blame them. One of the more tangible effects on the ranch is, is the animal mutilations that you mentioned. Have you, since your time working on the ranch, have you had any issues with that? Uh, no, we have, we have not had any cattle mutilations. 
with the exception of the one cow that died in season one, which you saw as part of the television series, um, we haven't had any any animals die on the ranch as far as cat mutilations or or anything else like that. Um, obviously, the alpacas got attacked. We haven't we haven't experienced cat mutilations, and it's not that we're advocating for that. Uh, obviously, <laughs> we're not. Uh, we we don't we're not advocating for any unethical treatment of animals, but we do have cows on the ranch, and you know for science purposes, you know if something like that were to happen, it would probably we we could probably glean a lot of information off of it. But we haven't had anything happen since we've taken over the ranch. Do you know much about Robert Bigelow? Yeah, so um, unfortunately, there's not a lot I can say about that, and and. Part of the reason is is that Mr. Bigelow himself has not released very much information at all. I, I mean, really what we have to go by is a book that was written by Colin Kelleher, uh, who's closely associated with Mr. Bigelow. We've been able to talk to some of the scientists that were there during the Bigelow era. But, uh, you know, Bigelow got... $22 million from the Pentagon to, to do some of this investigation. And uh, my suspicion is is that their findings were classified. Uh, you know, anytime the government provides you with money, there's always strings attached. And so my my guess is, is that they owned whatever, whatever findings they had that came from that money, uh, the government owned those and they're classified and, and he can't release them. When Brandon bought the ranch, uh, he made it very clear up front that he wasn't going to be able to share anything. He's basically, you know, going as is. We bought it with a clean slate, and there's there are a million rumors, but even the way that Bigelow conducted the investigation, and, and I'll probably need to be very careful here because I don't want to um, get myself in trouble with anyone, but even, even the way that it was set up, the way that the reporting, you know, from from the scientists and the security and everything, the way they reported the incidents to Bigelow, everything was set up in a way that really guarded secrecy and really maximized confidentiality. And I don't, I don't know, I can't be sure that even Bigelow's scientists had a full understanding of everything that was going on, on the ranch, just because of the way that that the whole organization was structured. And so. Uh, we we know so little about it. There's a lot of speculation, but I could tell you for breeding the internet, uh, a lot of speculation about our time on the ranch as well, since Brandon bought it. And I can read down through that and realize that 75% of it has uh, is not factual. And so it's it's hard to say on the Bigelow era how much of those rumors that we read are fact and how much of them have been uh, inflated. So do you know what Brandon's motivation was for buying the ranch? Because, I mean, this doesn't really seem to fit in his portfolio of previous work. It's a bit of a departure. Do you know why he got interested in, in pursuing this ranch? Yeah, well, Brandon is very successful. I mean, he's one of the most successful real estate guys on the planet. And uh, he's very good at what he does. But in addition to his real estate interests, uh, Brandon's always been um, very interested in tech and also in the sci-fi. And uh, it was through his work with a previous, he had invested in a previous endeavor, and he'd worked in this endeavor, he'd worked with some of the same scientists that worked with Bigelow's team. 
Brandon's always had an interest for uh, what else is out there. And uh, being raised LDS, there, you know, there's always a, the, where do we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? You know, the, the bigger answers are the bigger questions in life. And, uh, you know, from my own personal perspective, I, I think that when you have reached a level of success like Mr. Bigelow or Brandon, and, and you've conquered or you, you have dominion in your kingdom, you start looking around and wondering what else is there, you know, what else is there to this life? And so Brandon has this intense curiosity, and when he bought the ranch, he, he was just like the rest of us. He was a healthy skeptic. Uh, he had brought Eric Bard in one in his previous endeavor to to debunk, if you will, the, the technology that was being uh, advertised, and and so he ex- largely expected to do the same thing with Skinwalker Ranch, and so he brought Eric Bard in, and Eric is one of the most disciplined, thorough, meticulous individuals I've ever been around, and and that man is. He takes very seriously his role as a scientist. He always says, I'm not here to believe, I'm not here to disbelieve, I'm here to observe. He is very disciplined in that manner. So Brandon brought him in, and, and really, I think all of us were there saying, you know, we're here to prove that all these stories are nothing but a bunch of, yeah, a bunch of inflated ghost stories that have, that have been largely exaggerated. Is this phenomenon, is it localized to the ranch, or is there are people experiencing things in that area generally that are unexplainable? So the ranch seems to be the epicenter. It uh, seems to have a higher concentration of the strange, uh, of the high strangeness. That being said, um, you would be hard-pressed to find anybody who's lived in this Uina Basin for uh, any number of years that's not had their own personal experience of seeing a UFO, or having some type of anomaly take place that, that's pretty remarkable. Uh, it's basin-wide. The Uinta Basin, for some reason, seems to be a hot spot for UFO sightings, for paranormal, um, even even for things even such as like Bigfoot sightings. So the Uinta Basin seems to be, it seems to be basin-wide. I mean, in the same valley, we, we have another ranch here that's got a television show on the Discovery Channel that that is reporting strange phenomena. So the Uinta Basin, it's not confined just to the 512 acres of Skinwalker Ranch. It seems to be basin-wide, but the ranch does seem to be, for whatever reason, the epicenter of it. The things that people are experiencing that you've experienced, I mean, obviously you've had the injury. Do you think this is an effect produced on the viewer, or do you think there is a physical craft flying in the sky when someone sees a ufo i I actually think it's both and uh, i do think i think that we've collected enough evidence to show that yes there is a physical craft in the you know talking specifically about a ufo for example um we have multiple incidents now where i believe we've collected sufficient data to show that yes there is there is an actual something up there in the sky um, and that it's not just some it's not just an effect on the viewer there are other times where the evidence would tend to lean to the fact that it's an effect on the viewer and for example uh, we have times when this craft's been seen when we had multiple eyewitnesses that saw it we had multiple cameras that picked it up 
We had instrumentation that were measuring uh, unusual readings during that time, and we had the cattle on the ranch reacting as well. So you had a lot of data points suggesting that there's something physical and real taking place. All the witnesses reported seeing the exact same thing, and the thing and the object that we picked up in the camera matched what we all saw. So that would that would lend to suggest that that was actually something physical. Um, but then we've also had incidents where we have had multiple individuals witness a craft in the sky. And the interesting thing was this, was that in the group, some of them were not able to see it. Some of them saw one thing and some of them saw another, which would lend to, that would lend evidence to it being an effect on the viewer. Right? Because we're, we're not all reporting the same thing. We're not all seeing the same thing. And matter of fact, some of us aren't seeing it at all. I think we have pretty good evidence to show that both are occurring. Have you ever seen a UFO on the ranch? You know, I think of all of the phenomena on the ranch, UFOs are the easiest for me to wrap my head around. So when I see them, uh, and maybe it's because my brain is so skeptical that the first, my brain goes down the checklist. Well, it's probably a plane. Uh, it's probably a satellite. Oh, maybe it's a helicopter. Maybe it's a drone. You know, oh, crap. It's none of those. Like, <laughs> it doesn't check any of those boxes, either because of its behavior or one one element or another, you know, won't fit inside of that. I've been out there on the ranch. We had multiple witnesses where we had an object coming across the sky. It looked identical to a satellite. And that's what we thought we were seeing was a satellite coming across the sky. Except for when it got almost directly above us, it stopped on a dime, took a hard 90-degree turn, and then started to, to go. So it was coming across from the north to the south, if I remember right. When it gets above us, it stops, takes a hard right, and starts heading to the west. Um, satellites don't do that. And, and neither do planes. You know, you, you don't get a plane that takes, I, I, I'm talking like a perfect 90-degree turn. It definitely was not a helicopter, even to try to put it in the classification of a drone. I mean, maybe, but it was so far up there. And, you know, the behavior would not lend itself to such. So there's those types. We had one, one night. Um, I was coming onto the ranch. It was late. I had my wife with me. We're pulling in, and while we're waiting for the for the gate to open at the entrance, uh, my wife says, "Hey, I, that star just moved up there." And uh, I dismissed it. I'm like, "Yeah, I'm sure. Like, it's probably just the branches of the trees making it look like it's moving." And we drive up to the ranch house and get out, and she's like, "No, I think it's moving." So we got out, and it was a perfectly dark night, no moon sat there and stared at it for what seemed to be an eternity it probably was only two or three minutes and i'll be and it was it was a still night too and i'll be dinged if that sure enough after a few minutes it was it looked like it was just staying perfectly still and after a few minutes it made an abrupt and quick movement to the side uh what i would say a couple inches to the side but it put it it put it on the on the other side of this large tree branch so there was, like, it was a way to measure and mark for sure that this thing had moved, right? And so I ran into the command center and grabbed the night vision goggles 
and also grabbed the caretakers that live on the ranch, uh, uh, Tom Lewis and uh, Candace Lindy. And uh, they came out, and we all sat there and watched it. And with the night vision, it, it, all these stars show up in the night vision. You can't see with the naked eye. And uh, we're watching this, and sure enough, its position relative to the stars is moving pretty dramatically. And we sat out there for probably 20 minutes. Um, and when I say move, it would it would appear like it was still for the longest time, and then all of a sudden it would move in almost a flash of an eye. I mean, so fast from one point to another. Uh, it wasn't like a plane that could be flying away from you or even towards you and then just like slowly coming across. It was like immediate. And so we sat there and watched this object until all of a sudden it just disappeared. So don't know what that was, but uh, we watched that for quite some time. Seen when we were filming season one, we had a craft appear above us when we were um, shooting off the rocket. Saw it multiple times. Um, I've I have with one other person uh, witnessed a craft, and the interesting thing is this person was pretty intuitive, and uh, we were out kind of in the middle of the ranch, and this person said, "There's a craft above us," and I looked up and I was waiting. I didn't see anything. It was a clear blue sky with just a few wisps the white clouds in the sky it just it was almost entirely blue and and uh this person said just wait watch and sure enough like after a minute minute and a half i see this translucent white object just dart out from behind the cloud for maybe two or three seconds and then it darted back behind the cloud um so i've, I've seen i've seen so many different objects up in the sky that defy Expl- reasonable explanation uh, but, but I guess that puts them all in the classification of unidentified you know the, the investigation started the day Brandon bought the ranch and it's been going non-stop since so uh, even though we're doing this television series and, and we've done some filming during the last two summers uh, when the cameras go down and the production crew leaves uh, we actually get back to science it's actually you know the show can be somewhat disruptive to the science sometimes just with the filming schedule and and the way that we have to work around the production. We're always trying to add new and and better equipment, whether that be cameras, whether that be sensors. We're we're constantly upgrading our infrastructure. We've made vast upgrades even just in the last couple months. We have some new exciting equipment that we're we're excited about Eric's constantly looking for AI solutions. When when you have literally dozens and dozens and dozens of cameras like we do on the ranch, each one of those represents one hour of footage. You know, for every one hour of footage, you're getting you know forty, fifty, sixty hours of footage to review. And a lot of the events that we record, a lot of the anomalous events that we record on the ranch can be. Some of them can be literally. Uh, a few frames, and that's it. So you're you're talking about a split second, literally. You know, a fifteenth, or or you know, four or five fifteenths of a second, or thirtieth, whatever the frame rate as a camera is. To scrub through the footage, it's an overwhelming task, and so Eric's always looking for ways to streamline that. And uh, he's he's written some pretty sophisticated software, so. 
we're always improving our, our infrastructure and trying to get better with our scientific monitoring and our equipment. I bet there's an army of people out there who would love to help you review that footage. You should uh, try to crowdsource some of that out if you haven't. You know, I can't go a lot into that, but I'll just say that that's an excellent idea. And uh, it may or may not have been the uh, point of conversation many times. <laughs> have you heard of any other place in the world that is similar to the ranch that might be experiencing the same type of phenomenon? The publicity from the show has brought a lot of people out of the woodwork. And and uh, I know Brandon, he gets way more than I do, but even myself, and I'm sure the rest of the team does. We get a lot of messages, uh, whether it's through social media, you know, Twitter, Facebook, those things, or or the few people that are able to find direct channels to us. We've gotten a lot of messages uh, from individuals that are from this spot of the world or that spot of the world. And and claim to know of places that are similar uh, to the ranch and that experience similar type of phenomena. So, um, I, I'm so busy. I haven't had, I haven't had time to look into these spots, but you know, I would say from the number of messages coming in that, that it's definitely possible that there are other locations, uh, around the globe that may uh, experience similar types of, uh, events. Do you want to talk a little bit about kind of because we haven't really touched on it, but just kind of the show that that you're you work on and kind of what the the premise is and where people can find it? Yeah, the show's interesting. Um, when Brandon first took over the ranch, the question was, "Is any of this real?" And as the investigation started to unfold, uh, very quickly the question turned from "Is this real?" to "Okay, this is real. What do we do with it?" And um, I could tell you that I've been in a lot of meetings with Brandon, the scientist, the advisory board, um, where the discussion revolves around what is the responsibility, what, what responsibility do we have uh, to the public, uh, to the ranch? Brandon's always viewed himself as a steward, as all of us do, like we're a steward of the ranch. And so the discussion came around, okay, there's definitely something happening on the ranch, so now what? You know, um, what, what do we do now? And despite a lot of the comments on the internet, when Brandon bought this, there was no thoughts of doing a TV show. As a matter of fact, the individual that's really ultimately responsible for getting this, uh, this deal with uh, the History Channel was a, was a guy named T.J. Allard. He's one of the executive producers. And he reached out to me. And at the time, nobody knew Brandon was the owner. And because of my role on the ranch and my public relations with the community, uh, anytime there was a issue relating to the local governments or, or laws that needed to be attended to, it was me that went and took care of it. So when you researched the ranch, my name was the only one that you could find attached to it. And TJ Allard had reached out to me and, and, uh, and probably, we probably got two or three requests a month from the time that it became known that I was associated with the ranch. Uh, I, I started getting two to three requests from production companies, networks, you name it. You know, all these filmmakers, documentarians, they were reaching out to me. Hey, would you guys be interested in doing a TV show? And um, you know, I'd reach out to Brandon and say, "Hey, this person contacted me. What do you think?" And he'd say, "No, I have no interest." You know. Um, it was just a flat no. DJ Allard reached out and I told 
he was very polite. He's very professional, and um, he was he was different than a lot of the ones that have reached out. And he and uh, I told him I said, you know, we're not interested in doing anything, but that's today. Like it never hurts to reach out tomorrow. And so TJ faithfully started to reach out every month. Every month, like clockwork, he'd reach out to me. Hey, you know, how you doing? And and before long, and he did this for almost a full year, um, and and established some credibility. He he uh, he done some work that I was aware of, and uh, and so finally, I said, you know what? Let me let you talk to Jim Morse. Um, and uh, I was superintendent, Jim's manager. And, um, Jim started to. Start, start, uh, Jim started some dialogue with him, and Jim carried it with him for probably another three or four or five months. And finally, uh, Jim and I both told Brandon, you know, you ought to listen to this guy. Uh, at least give him, just give him a meeting. So Brandon met with him and, and was impressed by him and said, you know, we we would consider it, but we have to, like, we, this is serious science, and we don't want to make a circus out of it. They agreed to those terms, and then uh, Brandon started to to work with the network, and uh, and then they brought in Prometheus Productions, which you know does Ancient Aliens and Curse of Oak Island, and has has a lot of experience. And the rest is kind of history. And and through that, they they enticed Brandon to out himself as the owner, and uh, and so yeah, we we brought the channel on, and and what we've done is. We try to do experiments, and, and it is an investigation. None of it is scripted. Absolutely none of it is scripted. We try to, we try, we do try to do some experiments in that that, you know, would be captivating or, or because if you were to watch a lot of the science that goes on the ranch, it's like watching paint dry. And uh, it's the most boring, tedious, like rip your eyeballs out type of uh, work. And so, you know, we brought Travis Taylor on the, the network had good ties with him and he's come and joined our investigation and and brought a lot of different perspectives and um helped us take the investigation to a uh shift it to a different perspective eric was really purely observational uh we wanted to just observe and and try to understand what was going on travis is more like proactive offense let's go poke it with a stick as he likes to put it and uh see if we can get it to to respond and uh and so the the series has been fun it's it's people ask you know is it real is it scripted it's absolutely real of course you know the editors have to do their thing and make it watchable for the general public because not everybody loves you know facts and figures they they want to be entertained but all you know i've been happy with the way that they've they've done it Outside of your own experiences what do you think is the strangest story you've heard that can, that's come from the ranch so many strange things happened during the Sherman time. Uh, I think that if I had to pinpoint it, the story of their dog being chased down by some type of craft or orb and being basically vaporized or, or killed uh, definitely stands. I believe it was reported in the book that one of the scientists uh, from Bigelow's time saw a portal open up and a creature come out of that portal that is pretty spectacular as well um i I would say those are the two that stand out in my mind but again like there's 
so many stories that, that are from there that are just so strange that it, it's hard to pick one. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on your favorite podcasting app. It helps get this content in front of more listeners, which means we can produce more episodes more often. Visit our website at www.strange-phenomenon.com for a full list of sources and more episodes. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at strange underscore phenom and on Facebook at strange phenomenon, all one word. Strange Phenomenon is hosted by Ray Tarara. It's written and produced by RJ Blake and Ray Tarara. Theme music by Tara Monk. Additional music provided by Sergi Cheramizanov.